Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast for making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. Thank you again for joining me on another edition of Around with Randall. Today, a little bit different view of the podcast. Had a client here recently while doing some board work. One of the board members asked about the history of philanthropy, and I talk about this quite often, but I thought I would expound a little bit today with maybe a little less tactical at the end. But for those of us in the nonprofit world, probably it's important to realize how we got to this point in terms of what we do and why we do it. If we want to understand the beginnings of the thought and even the word philanthropy, we have to go back to the ancient Greeks nearly 2,500 years ago. And really, we're going to talk about Prometheus. Zeus, for those who didn't follow Greek mythology, the god of gods, so to speak, was disappointed in human beings. He believed them to be blind and uh, no sense of direction and not valued very much. And he was going to destroy them. Prometheus, a Titan, we will not spend a great deal of time talking about Greek mythology here today, stepped in and gave human beings two important gifts. The first was fire. And the second was this idea of hope. And fire would be the thing that would symbolize the ability to move society forward. And hope or blind hope would be the thing that would be the impetus inside that would create optimism that human life could be better tomorrow than it would be today in a very simplistic way. And that drove the first idea of philanthropy. The Greeks took this very seriously. Philos and Anthropos, love of humankind, is the foundation of the word philanthropy that we use today. Note that it doesn't say money. And I spend a lot of time with non-fundraising individuals, uh, physicians, faculty members, board members, uh, community leaders, to remind them that that we've created in the last 150 years this direct connection between fundraising, philanthropy, and money. And it doesn't mean that. It means the willingness, the desire to make the world a better place. And Bill and Melinda Gates said it best a couple of years ago in their letter that they wrote to the community about their philanthropic efforts. The number one reason they do it is they love it. They love knowing they make a difference, that they're helping people. Yes, their money does that, but that's not the reason. The money's not the reason it actually occurs. So let's go back to the ancient Greeks for just a minute. That in ancient Greek, Greek times, there were groups of people that gathered. Usually they were on the 
upper end of the social economic ladder. Uh, they were just rich and mostly all men to be candid. And they would gather together and they would support various parts of their community. And for those who had resources and they didn't want to participate, they would put pressure on them. Where do you think our modern nonprofit board comes from? They would support things like the theaters or community aspects of need, like city walls or granaries or temples, municipal uh, amenities that the common everyday Greek didn't have. Even Plato's Academy in just about 400 BC was endowed and ran for 900 years on that endowment. And Plato's Academy was about learning and about the full essence of what it meant to be human. Other communities or societies of the time also had philanthropy in different ways running through their culture. The Babylonians had a a decree that was a special punishment for those who were very wealthy, but abused the weak. We also know that in ancient Greece, there was a book, a writing called the Book of the Dead, which made it very clear that successful passage to the other side was in many ways dependent on the life's record of one's benevolence, generosity, towards those who were suffering when they were alive. Of course, the Roman Empire took much of the ideas of the ancient Greeks and Babylonians and the Egyptians because they had captured much of that territory in the Roman Empire days of grandeur. And they actually created uh, the first tax-exempt condition for charities who gave out to society. And they created laws that exalted philanthropists to elevate them into statuses that allowed things like trusts and endowments to be created. What's so interesting is, is that after the fall of the Roman Empire, the Dark Ages, the idea of philanthropy basically disappears from historical writing. And it isn't till the 1600s that we begin to see a real drive for philanthropy to come back into probably closer to our modern society. It was the English who first passed the Statute of Charitable Uses, which is the cornerstone of Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-American charity laws. It was for the relief of the poor. They actually created statutes, laws, about how charity should be used. And as there was an exodus from England and Europe to then just the American colonies or American land, it wasn't even obviously the United States at the time, John Winthrop, one of the lead Puritans, In 1630, talked about it from the perspective on the ship coming to America. The modern modern Christian charity about how their strive for business needed to drive their 
philanthropy, their charity to help others. As we move into more of a modern American history, Ben Franklin created the Junto Club of Philadelphia. It was there to improve society. Really the first major modern grouping of men, white, to drive a betterment of the community. And they created things like the volunteer fire department and the police and built roads and libraries. Ben Franklin, just 25 years later, created the first Manching Grant scenario to build the hospital in Philadelphia, where the city of Philadelphia would grant dollars based on how much money could be raised philanthropically. We also then began to have laws that drove philanthropic doctrine. In 1819, the state of New Hampshire wanted to take over Dartmouth College. And in the case Dartmouth College versus Woodward, the Supreme Court said, no, nonprofit entities have protection from government interference. You can't just go in and take over a nonprofit. And it set up a special existence for nonprofits to exist in this world. You have the first Jewish Sunday school established in Jewish orphanage in 1838. You have another Supreme Court case, Gerard versus Philadelphia, where a gentleman wanted to leave his estate for a specific purpose, and the city didn't like it and said, well, you can't do that. And the Supreme Court said, no, individuals have the right to leave their money to charity. And the idea of donor intent was created legally. The donors can say where their money goes, and the organization or the entity or the receiver has to use it in that purpose. We had societies that were developed after the civil war moving closer to the 1900 the last latter part of the of the 19th century where you had Lowell published uh, Josephine Shaw Lowell pu published the most famous book probably of its time called the public relief and private charity and 5 years later influenced by that book Andrew Carnegie writes the all famous wealth the book that defined how money can help the community and help other people rather than be hoarded, which affected John D. Rockefeller and others. We had the first income tax law passed in 1894. World War I, there was $400 million donated and Red Cross membership, large-scale grassroots efforts would go to, the, to help take care of servicemen serving in Europe. In World War II, we had drives of scrap metal and all kinds of things. We spend so much time thinking about what philanthropy is today. I think it's sometimes important to look back and realize what it's done. The other thing I want to do very quickly is walk you through some of the things that charity, philanthropy, the generosity of others started. Colleges are prevalent, whether it's John Harvard in 1838, I believe, giving his estate to rename the university Harvard College. 
it's Thomas Jefferson leaving his entire estate for the most part to the University of Virginia. It's Booker T. Washington in 1867-68 creating the Tuskegee Institute. It's John D. Rockefeller and Marshall Fields founding University of Chicago in 1890. It's Leland Stanford and his wife establishing Stanford University in 1891. How about the idea of public education? 1806 and 1808 in New York and Boston societies and gatherings raised money to begin the public education system for those who couldn't afford private schooling or, or, or tutoring. It's the idea of Elizabeth Seton and the Sisters of St. Joseph creating the first free Catholic school in Baltimore in 1810. Or Thomas Gaudet creating the first school for the deaf in 1817. The basic elements of our education system founded in philanthropy, including public education. Libraries. Andrew Carnegie spent his entire latter half of his life building libraries across the United States and around the world. 1,681 public libraries in the United States. If a small town were to agree to find the books and use the money correctly, Andrew Carnegie would make a library possible. There are thousand or more Carnegie libraries in the United States, an additional 830 or so around the English-speaking world. Hospitals. Think about the doctors and nurses and then the nuns and religious orders who went out across the United States in the 18 and 1900s and started hospitals, two, three-bed hospitals in these small communities that are the today outcome of some of the biggest health systems in the United States. The first orphanage done by charity, by philanthropy, 1825. How about the arts? Let's just take the Boston Symphony, the first, Henry Lee Higgins in 1881. Emergency care, Clara Barton and the Red Cross, 1881. And even environmental, the great John Muir, the Sierra Club in 1892. Philanthropy has defined our societies and cultures as far back as we can go in the writings of humankind. The question we have today is, what is this going to be for us looking forward? What can philanthropy do? And this goes back to other writings and other podcasts. The bigger we think, the more we partner with the nonprofit's goal and its mission, the more we take that partnership into the community and find people who believe in it to support it, the more we gather that support, both monetarily, but maybe more importantly, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically mentally, the more likely our community is going to be a better place. All the things that I just talked about made the world better. Philanthropy has the power to change the direction of humankind. Just a couple of reminders. If you like this, either video, which is now available on YouTube or on the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, like, Give a thumbs up. Make sure to leave a note. I appreciate it very much. And if you'd like to get a hold of me and you have a suggestion on a topic, podcast at halletphilanthropy.com. Or if you disagree with something I said, reeks, R 
E-E-K-S at howitphilanthropy.com. And I'm posting blogs all the time, 90-second reads. Back at the website, www.howlettphilanthropy.com. Today was a look back, but it really is meant, I hope, to give you a thought that what you're doing, if you're a part of this industry, as a board member, as an employee, as a leader, as a practitioner, as a faculty member, whatever it is that you're doing, a volunteer, History says the world's a better place when philanthropy is at the center of it. They called it the dark ages for a lot of different reasons, but I find it interesting. The philanthropy seems to be non-existent in writing in history during that same time. I'm going to make a leap. The more philanthropy, not just money, helping others, the better society is, the less dark it is. Thus, what you're doing is making a difference. And don't forget, some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. Philanthropy is about people who want to make things happen. Doing just that for people wondering what happened. And if you can't get out of bed every morning thinking, boy, is that really cool? Yes, I can be a part of that. Then I don't know what will. This is a vocational call, and I hope you feel it a little bit more tomorrow than you did today. I appreciate your time and a look back in history of philanthropy. We'll be back with you next time right here on Around with Randall. Don't forget, make it a great day.